Hi, it's Andrew here from the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. There hasn't been a new episode of Great Conversations for the last week or so, and that is because our parent radio station, 2SER in Sydney, has been running its annual Radiothon. It's a time of the year where we shout out to the community that makes community radio possible and ask people to become financial supporters. It's a really important part of our year because it really helps fund what we do for the rest of the year. But that doesn't mean that I haven't been reading and working on new great conversations for you. And uh, today, I wanted to give you a little bit of a preview. As we get started, I wanted to acknowledge that 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording from the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people, and I want to pay my respects to the traditional owners and acknowledge their ongoing connection to their lands, stolen land. Treaty has never been reached in Australia. So... If you tune in every week to Final Draft, you'll know that we look at a new Australian book, sit down with the author, and we have a little bit of a chat about how these stories connect with our world, the stories that make us who we are. I'm working on a little bit of a project right now because literary fiction is an incredible way to get insight, to travel in our minds, to find out a little bit more about our world. But stories do not only occupy the fictional space. Every day in the news, every day when we listen to commentators and politicians, they are telling us stories. The difference being, they want us to see facts, they want us to see truth, or so they say. Storytelling is so integral to the way we live in the world, sometimes we don't notice when we're being spun a yarn. I am working on a very special episode speaking to a range of people from commentators, historians, authors, poets, and I'm going to find out a little bit more about the stories that we take for fact, but that have all sorts of basis. And I want to help us keep our eyes open, keep our ears open, and understand some of the vocabulary, some of the tradition, some of the mythology that gets pulled into the public discourse all in the name of telling a story. As a special preview, I'm going to offer you a few minutes of a conversation I had with Lech Blaine. Lech is an incredible writer who travels broadly across Australian mythology, from football to politics, and in his latest quarterly essay on larrikins, called Top Blokes, we examine the idea of the larrikin. Who were larrikins, and how have larrikins been co-opted to sell politics to a modern audience. Here's Lek on the Larrikin. There's a really rich tradition in Australia. There's a lot of things that Australians think that is quite unique to Australia that is actually just a part of most cultures. But one thing that is fairly unique is this um, egalitarianism and a quite widespread idea that you know, nobody's better than anyone else. And so I think that that was quite like a intuitive development that went back to the basis of the, of white settlement in terms of the, the convict stock and so forth. And, and, and that developed into a lot of the things that we take for granted about our social de- democratic state. The essay was trying to show how confusing it is to actually pin down what, what a larrikin is. And I think that, that it started out as being very much a, a pretty spontaneous outbreak of rebellion amongst uh, generally semi-skilled labourers in Sydney and Melbourne and uh, somewhat connected to to um, Australia's convict traditions and then Australia's 
protrusion of uh, bush rangers and then that sort of morphed into the labor movement and then that sort of morphed into what we now know as our digger tradition and became somewhat militarized and subsequently went from being this uh, military figure to being really devoid of any um, live reality of battle or struggle or or even anti-authoritarianism. They actually became these figures who a lot of the time were, were quite powerful and quite rich a lot of the time as well. And and those were, were qualities that weren't traditionally associated with people who were larrikins. And so I think at some point people of power realised that, that it was going to be easier for them to achieve power and to make change for their own political and financial benefit by sort of getting in on the act and, and, and like um, rather than fighting against this idea of larrikinism or or um, egalitarianism to sort of like steal it from the Labor movement and steal it from the Labor Party. And so I, I think that there was very much a subconscious but also a conscious sort of attempt by um, conservative politicians. And, and this, this didn't all happen overnight. It sort of happened over a lo- long period of time. Uh, and, and you saw a lot of these figures with immense power, such as like Kerry Packer and um, Alan Bond, and, and and they they really leaned into this everyman type figure, even though, especially for someone like Kerry Packer, didn't didn't have authentic connection to um to working class people at all, mm. outside of outside of the the cosmetic sort of like association with sport and uh, eating a meat pie and talking somewhat profanely. Yeah, there's all these waves and stages of larrikins and we've arrived at this point now, it might be like the fifth or sixth stage of the larrikin where conservative politicians and business people wear the mask of the larrikin to to seem very familiar to uh, the public while behind this mask they, they, um, they don't really have any tangible connection to the people that they're actually depicting. They're more or less fictionalised characters and, and operating within this almost fictionalised world and uh, we're consuming them not as fictionalized characters, but as as very real people, and it's almost yeah, as I said, become completely devoid of reality. And and I, and I didn't completely flesh this out in the in the essay, but I mentioned the phenomenon of the bogan, and um, I I I don't have any proof for this. This is just something that I'm that I thought while I was writing it. I was like, I think that the bogan was essentially just the new word for the larrikin once. Um, once pe- the people who were in power uh, sort of decided that they liked the label of the larrikin, they sort of co-opted the larrikin and then th- you needed to create almost like a new category of person for this sort of like loutish, um, yeah, w- working class sort of figure. And and that became the bogan. And so, um, yeah, uh, like I, uh, and I've, the, the time sort of overlapped pretty closely in terms of when this bogan sort of came to prominence and when the larrikin really became this figure who um, was more associated with like business people and like billionaires. That's it for this special preview of a conversation with Lech Blaine on his quarterly essay, Top Blokes, exploring the myth of the larrikin. Final Draft is going to be back very soon with full episodes and full conversations. Make sure you tune in. If you're in Sydney or you want to tune in online to SCR.com, We go to air every Saturday morning, every Wednesday evening. But on your podcast feed, you can tune in to Final Draft anytime. Make sure you're subscribed. You can also keep up with us on social media at Final Draft 2SER. My name's Andrew Popel. It is always a pleasure to be joining you for a little bit of Final Draft, a little bit of book talk. And as always, till we meet again, happy reading. Bye for now.